Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Today's episode is brought to you by Witham. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Sid Viswanathan, a co-founder and president of TruePill. Sid, thanks for joining us today. Welcome. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, it's good to talk. Um, so you're having fun. I think you started the company in 16. Is that right? That's right. It's uh, It's been five. We celebrated our five-year anniversary and time has flown by. Five years in startup land. It's the best, right? Well, I, I, I did a startup before that, so I'd say a total of even longer, but I wouldn't do it any other way for sure. <laughs> so what is the, the what was the inspiration to start TruePill? Well, first of all, tell me about your startup prior so we can get a sense for your path here. Yeah, for sure. I actually was a, go all about to college, I was a mechanical engineer in school and I came out to Silicon Valley back in 2008, 2009 timeframe. And that's when it hit me in the face and realized there aren't that many jobs for mechanical engineers. If you're not in software or computer engineering, uh, you're kind of stuck. And I realized the fastest path for me to get into software was actually startups. And I was more of a self-taught software engineer and, and got up and running and founded my first company in 2009 in, in the mobile app space. And uh, that was a short but but successful run. And we sold that business to, to LinkedIn in, in January of 2011. And I spent about four years at LinkedIn in different product and engineering roles. And when I left, I went back to the drawing board to, to start something again. I, I knew that I wanted to start something again. And at that point, the amount of time I'd spent inside a company versus a startup was kind of misaligned. So I said, all right, I need to go back to the drawing board. And, and that's when I, I set out to eventually start TruePill with my co-founder, Omar. Well, first of all, very cool that you're a mechanical engineer. I'm a mechanical engineer myself. Nice. And uh, we're the guys, we can do anything. Man. We can build stuff, but for some reason I can't figure out how to fix anything in my home, and I get uh, <laughs> I get grief for that from in laws and wife all day. <laughs> That's cool. Well, I, you know the funny thing is though, there are, you know, just as an aside, I've had, I've worked with a lot of software engineers and software leads, many of them, by the way, with a mechanical engineering background. So um, it did teach us uh, how to build, how to how to write software, I guess, to, to make machines go. But it's very cool. I've always said where the we're the most well-rounded engineers out there. You know what I mean? I'll take that. Let's roll with that. Um, so, so look, you can start a company doing anything. What? What do? You, why? Why healthcare? Why TruePill? What was the inspiration? Yeah, for me, it was it was really meeting Omar, my co-founder, who's a pharmacist, and digging really deep into the industry and picking back all the layers. I probably spent about a year of time just kind of tinkering around on a bunch of different ideas. And once I met Omar, I had a chance to go really deep into the space and really understand all the pieces that went into the pharmacy industry and, and realized how much technology could impact it, how much it needed to be changed. And we formed this initial thesis for TruePill, which was, what would it look like to build pharmacy infrastructure or B2B infrastructure? And for us, we really had only two founding tenants for the business. Number one was we had to do something in pharmacy, otherwise we're the wrong founding team. And number two, we really wanted to do something B2B for a variety of reasons. There were several direct-to-consumer players in the pharmacy space and uh, wanted to come at it from a different angle. And in the early days, we would throw out analogies like, think about what Stripe did for pharmacy or Stripe did for payments, rather, what could we do for pharmacy or healthcare more broadly? And that was the initial uh, thesis for the business. And it was purely a theoretical concept. And 
we landed our first customer in, in, in late 2016 and from there have scaled to several large incumbent customers and, and also expanded the business to not just be pharmacy, but now also include telehealth and diagnostics. And so we describe ourselves in the market as building consumer healthcare infrastructure. And our secret sauce is that we can connect different solutions across our three business units, which are telehealth, diagnostics, and pharmacy. So when, you, when you're building uh, B2B, who's the B? Who's the second? So we started off when we, when we got started back in, in 2016, we, we worked with a number of direct-to-consumer health brands. So when you look in the market today at a company like a Hims and Hers, a GoodRx, a Nurex, many of these brands use TruePill behind the scenes to fulfill their medications. And that's how we got started working with about 100 or so different digital health brands. And over the last two or three years, we've evolved the platform to now also service a number of incumbents. So we do a lot of work with United Health Group, Optums of the world, and, and a number of other players within the uh, healthcare ecosystem that represent the incumbents in the in the different segments we go after. But we've made that transition working with startup entities all the way to the largest enterprises in healthcare. And so the B for us represents many different channels, but I would include payers, life sciences, health brands, and providers as the, the four components that make up the, the B for us. And we're servicing a large part of those segments in the market today. So, th- so that's cool. So let's talk a little bit about the pharmacy business. It's it, it's got a lot of big players, right? CVS, Walgreens, yeah. Wal- you know, et cetera. And, uh, and I think most people that aren't transacting online, but even those that do transact online can transact through those sort of re- online retail outlets. Where do you, where does your software step in? What are you enabling for uh, United or Optum or some of these other healthcare brands that um, the existing retail pharmacy companies can't. Yeah, so today we power the the pharmacy fulfillment components of Optum's direct-to-consumer business. If you get a chance to go to store.optum.com, we power the downstream fulfillment for that. We also power something like Mark Cuban's pharmacy launch that just happened a couple of weeks ago, actually. And this is a really interesting digital health platform. And by and large, the, the positioning that we take in the market is anyone that wants to build a virtual pharmacy experience that's modern, built on... Um, infrastructure that we power underneath the hood, we can come in and give you a product or an experience that ties together all the best practices that you see in the market today from a pharmacy experience standpoint. And so whether you're using um, an Amazon pharmacy experience or or a pill pack experience or any one of the other online pharmacy experiences today on the market, we can bring any incumbent, a very similar, if not in our opinion, at least a, a better experience that encompasses the goals of that specific brand, whether it's Mark Cuban or Optum or any other incumbent that we work with in the, usually the payer landscape that's, that's most interested in, in virtual pharmacies or pharmacy build-outs. So what, where in the transaction, and we can talk about telehealth and, and, and lab in a sec, but where, where in the transaction do you guys come in? Is it at the consumer uh, side or is it in the back end where you're fulfilling where 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 do you so it depends on every every customer build out that we do Steve and it's very flexible I think the 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 strongest component of our platform is is you can flex into think of it as Lego 
Legos and building blocks, you can construct whatever you want using our infrastructure. And so let's take Mark Cuban as an example. Uh, the entire front end build out was, was built on top of our platforms. Everything from the, the landing pages to the checkout experiences to the carts were built on our infrastructure and, and all the way down to the fulfillment when we're packing the actual medications into vials, putting them into boxes and sending it out to patients is run entirely through our infrastructure, both the digital and the physical component. And so uh, the platform really straddles both the, the digital experience where we'll, on our platform, build you something that's very customized and white labeled to your brand. And a lot of these experiences that you see in the market, you won't even know that Truepill is behind them because everything is white labeled for our partners, all the way down to the fulfillment. And that packaging experience that you get will represent the brand that we partner with. And when you receive the box and open the box and get all the marketing materials, everything is 100% white labeled to the clients that we we service. And uh, that's by design. I think um, the mission for the company is to touch every consumer in America. And, and you as the end consumer may not even realize that you touched a piece of Truepill's infrastructure along the way. That's cool. So can you tell me about Mark Cuban's business? Like what is he what is he doing as compared to OptumRx or a large pharmacy benefit management company? What is it? What is his and you, you know, I don't I don't know if he's public with this, but any any of your customers, like what makes them different than sort of the large PBMs? Yeah, happy to share or talk about the parts that are public. I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I think what the Mark Cuban Cost Plus team has done that's super innovative is they actually went down to the raw raw compound, the raw molecule that makes the product, and they actually decide to produce and manufacture it. When you look at all the different elements that go into a cost structure of, of producing a pill, there are several steps before it reaches the, the end patient. And as a result, a cost structure that's baked in. And what the team at, at Mark Cuban Cost Plus realizes, the only way to cut all those middlemen out is to go all the way down to the bare building blocks and produce the molecule itself. And so they're producing a certain set of NDCs out of their manufacturing facility in Dallas. They're being very transparent about the markup that they're placing on that. And every step of the experience is from the raw compound and the manufacturing process to how much they are marking the drug up, which happens to be 15% across the board. They're 100% transparent with the end consumer on what the cost structure looks like. And that's extremely unique when you look at the way the market works today. Very few consumers understand what the cost is to produce a, a pill or, or medication, much less understand the, the complex rebate structures that exist between manufacturers and, and PBMs downstream and how the health plan fits into all of that. And so the complexity of the industry makes it really hard to explain and understand the, the black box nature of drug pricing, which is the world we live in today. And Mark Cuban came at it with a very innovative and, and quite, when you think about it, it's a simplistic approach. Go make the product yourself and charge what you want for it. Uh, that's what they're doing in the market. And they have a chance to do that across uh, several SKUs in the market that they will be producing in the, in the coming years. This episode is brought to you by Witham, a forward-thinking, technology-driven advisory and accounting firm committed to helping companies be more profitable, efficient, and productive in today's complex business environment. Witham's dedicated digital health services team is proud to sponsor this episode as well as the upcoming Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. Get to know them at www.witham.com. What about telehealth and, and, and labs? Obviously, COVID-19 has led us 
to be testing at home here. You know, we're all you we all have our COVID test test kits. Tell us about the other tell me tell me about the other parts of the business, telehealth and and lab. Yeah, what we realized at the start of the pandemic and, and certainly through the pandemic was that the same founding principles that we started our pharmacy business with, which were white labeled infrastructure, everything B2B. Well, the same kind of opportunity existed on the telehealth side, as well as the diagnostic side, uh, being white labeled, being infrastructure first. And the best example we have of this is, is through COVID. We did a, a very large scale flu COVID program with the United Health Group, where we bundled this flu COVID kit for 500,000 senior citizens, citizens in the country. And so these were, um, when you think about the peak of the pandemic, the very first flu season, these were the most at-risk vulnerable populations in the country, age 65 and above, that you do not want them to show up at a hospital with flu symptoms in the midst of the pandemic. And this is all pre-vaccine days, if you can even remember those days going back. And the purpose of the kit was you would receive something in the mail that had a COVID test inside it, a Bluetooth thermometer, as well as uh, generic Tamiflu, which is a common flu medication. And the intent for this package was as soon as you experience symptoms going through the flu season, our senior citizens are not going to know whether they have COVID or, or just the flu. And so they would call into a phone number that was on the box, and that's when they would get connected to a telehealth provider in our business. And the telehealth provider would guide this patient through whether they need to take the COVID test or in some cases, the flu medication, um, or in, in, in many exceptions, there were, I think about half a dozen different cases where urgent care was recommended, or even a couple ambulance calls because of how uh, serious the situation was. And so the really intent of the program was we need to move to a virtual setting. We need to prevent hospitalizations for our elderly, elderly vulnerable population. And this was a great example of you couldn't do this program if you did not have a telehealth business, a diagnostics business, and a pharmacy business unit, because you saw all three of those components come together to service these 500,000 patients at the start of the, the flu season in the first year of the pandemic. Interesting. And then where did that take you? It sounds like it took you further. Well, it certainly uh, expanded that relationship with the work that we do with Optum, and they continue to be great. Uh, commercial partners for us. And, and more importantly, it's allowed us to really start looking across the entire industry, all of healthcare, across the different channels and verticals. And payers are such a complex section of the market in itself. You can break down payers into commercial payers, uh, government payers, whether it's Medicare Advantage, Managed Medicaid, it's its own world in itself. You can look at employer groups as a subsection within payers, as well as uh, PBMs. You can break apart the PBMs and the health plans, which uh, both of those happen to be our clients. And each of them have slightly different needs. And what we're seeing in the market is, by and large, all these players need a version of TruePill's infrastructure. It's just how you stitch it together, what that front door looks like, what the exact problem that that end client wants to solve. It can vary, but the underlying pieces that make up the experience are, are usually always the same. It's it's one of three things or a multitude or multiple of the three things, which are number one, send out medications to patients. Number two, provide a high quality doctor visit online. Or number three, get a lab test out to the patient. And that's the the repeatable part of the engine that we're stitching together now over and over across the market for several different customer types. It's great. I'm looking, I'm actually on the cost plus website. See that I can do two things at the same time. I listened intently and I went on this website and I'm just trying to, so I pulled up a drug. It tells me um, what the price is. It gives me kind of a sense of where it compares to 
what it might cost elsewhere. Now, I'm assuming, do you, do you design this UX for them uh, as part of your infrastructure? I think it's done very collaboratively. The uh, The underlying components of how you go through the checkout flow are, are very similar to many online pharmacy experiences. When you add something to your cart, think of it as like e-commerce. You, we've all seen e-commerce in 100 yeah. different flavors across very different sites, but there's an element of making it look and feel native to that client. And they have to bring their brand identity, their brand presence, what they want their look and feel to look like. And in certain cases, we'll bring our designers to the table. In other cases, uh, our clients will bring their design patterns to life. And, and we we sort of build that on our platform. And so it can depend client to client, um, the amount of involvement we have, but we certainly uh, position ourselves as being collaborative partners if, if they do need that resource. And in this case, Mark Cuban brought great design input into the overall experience, and uh, we we turned it on on our platform. That's great. So when I hit the button and it says, get started, contact your doctor for a prescription, is that when you take over or do you take over at the point the prescription comes in and then it goes out for fulfillment and, and uh, collecting the money? Well, it depends. Yeah. If you want to go all the way down to the DNS level or where the site is hosted, it's hosted on our infrastructure. So when you come to the website, it's, you know, our support engineers that are making sure that website is up. But, uh, you know, those details aside, when you click get started and you go through and add something to your cart and then check out, we then get to work to get the prescription into our facility, whether it's coming from a doctor or whether it's coming from your existing pharmacy transferred over. And that's when our operational infrastructure kicks in to get that prescription packaged, dispensed, and shipped out to the patient. It's great. And and then that will, will end up becoming an automated thing if you're on, like a, if you have a chronic condition, you're constantly reordering your medications. That's right. Just like uh, similar to your subscribe and save on Amazon, you're going to get text messages and updates from the teams on when it's time for your refills of medications. And uh, like clockworks, it should show up on your doorstep uh, before you run out of your medication uh, on time every single month. Perfect. All right, so just a couple more minutes left. We've got uh, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs that, that listen to the, to the conversation, also venture capitalists. I, can, I, I know you've done well there. You've got the OHC people in. Um, that's wonderful. Uh, but give people a little bit of insight as to, you know, now that this, you've done this twice, what do you think the key is to getting the ball rolling on a startup? And um, how, what do you think the key is to being successful at raising money? Well, that's a great question. Um, well, I've gone through the evolution of starting a, a B2C company and now a B2B company. And if you ask me now, I don't think I could ever do a direct-to-consumer business again. I just, I, I just think B2B trains your mind in a certain way to think. And, and we've realized that for the last five years and we know what the opportunity is. And so I think that's helped me as an entrepreneur to decide that, yeah, B2B is where I want to spend the rest of my career, especially in healthcare. And I think, you know, my advice to any founder is I didn't know that healthcare was going to be a passion of mine or something that I could get this locked in and obsessed on. It wasn't something that was, I have to find my passion or what I absolutely love doing and build a business around that, which I think is a common misconception in, in starting companies. For me, I knew actually nothing about pharmacy. I met Omar and learned a lot in those first few months of, of getting to know Omar, as well as learning about the pharmacy industry. And then you kind of take a leap of faith and uh, picking a really large segment like healthcare has given us years and years of, of stuff to just learn. And um, we've been fortunate that every 
every stone we over overturn or, or turn over, there's just so much more stuff that we can figure out to do from a technology standpoint, from a consumer health experience standpoint. Uh, it's just such a meaty industry that I, I think you could spend 10, 20 years of your life focused on healthcare and and hopefully make a dent because that's how massive and that's how big and complex this industry is. So you know, I think my feedback to anyone else is, is find something that you can spend a lot of time obsessing over. And it doesn't always have to be something you're super passionate about because that wasn't the case for me. I was, I was not passionate about healthcare when I started, but now I wake up every morning and go to bed every night. And I can't think about anything else, but healthcare in America. That's cool. How do you think you convinced people to fund you? Well, I think, um, for us, we have been really focused on traction at every stage and, and finding the right points and leverage and, and going back to just feedback to other entrepreneurs and founders is we were actually quite slow in our first fundraise. We spent about a year, year and a half bootstrapping the business, making sure it was real, making sure we understood components of it before we actually went to the market. And from every point thereafter, we we never raised a subsequent round because we had 12 months of runway left or X amounts of runway left. It was really about a, a really concise and clear story on where we want to go next. It was in the beginning, expanding from just digital health customers to incumbent customers. And that was a good time to fundraise because we were growing on the backs of a number of innovative digital health brands, but we want to expand the customer segment. The next fundraise was expanding into other business units. We needed to fund and, and build up our telehealth business unit and eventually our diagnostics business unit. Uh, and then from there, expanding into other incumbents in the market and making the turn from startups to servicing large clients like Optum's United Healths of the world. And so that was for us, um, every point that we can date back to all of our, I guess, four, four fundraises, four or five fundraises, there was a clear inflection point in the business that we were able to tell our story around and and then not to mention COVID and, and the pandemic being a huge accelerator of the business as well. I think we raised our series B and series C, if I'm not mistaken, in that first year of the pandemic. And it was just a clear sign that, you know, how often in your life are you facing a pandemic, which nobody could have predicted starting their company, yet the the product and the offering and the service is is designed to get us through exactly this period of moving everything into a virtual healthcare setting. That was the ethos of the company. And we were talking about virtual healthcare for years prior to the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit and we were caught in the right place at the right time. And, and I think capitalized on it from a, certainly a fundraising standpoint, as well as a traction and revenue standpoint. Well, listen, congratulations. Uh, very impressive and, and, and always good to see. You know, one of the great things for me is to see uh, companies go from zero to one. So congratulations on that. Um, any place, tell us, tell the listeners where they can find out more information about you and your company. I know you're on LinkedIn. You have to be because you're a LinkedIn yeah. vet, right? That's true. Yeah. But uh, any about my, uh, tweeting or is it the website? Where do they go and find out stuff about uh, what you're up to? For sure. I mean, my email address, I'm very easily reachable, sit at truepill.com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Sid Vishwanathan. Uh, either of those are fine. And, and certainly uh, check out the website and we're, we're hiring as fast as we possibly can. We have about 250 open roles across the company right now, uh, ranging from every function in the company. So if you're looking to uh, jump into healthcare or, or thinking about making that switch, um, definitely, definitely feel free to reach out. Thanks for your time, Sid. Thanks so much, Steve. 